This is Emmanuel Class. This is Will Hungerford. And you are listening to Field of Fire. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well played. I had Matt Wilson on last episode, and he did the Field of Fire as Shivers, and I cut out the audio, so in the end of the audio at the last episode, you can hear him say, Field of Fire! <laughs> that would Shivers sound like? I All guess. Right. I don't know. You tell me. What does Shivers sound like, Will? <sighs> to me, I don't know. Like, he's a little baby Gorak, so it's kind of like just weird. Gr- I mean, he makes words, but he refers <laughs> to himself in the third person, for sure. And to me, it's like a weird, like, like a, a grunty toddler, like a toddler with a little bass in his voice. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome <laughs> to a very special episode of Field of Fire. As you heard in the intro, joining me this episode is the Duke of Development, the dastardly crafter of Riot Quest, William Hungerford. Oh, those are interesting titles. Uh, hello, everyone. I am also known as the the lead developer at Privateer Press, Duke of Development. Man, that is way too much pressure. I don't know if I can <laughs> handle, handle that kind of title. Dastardly well, crafter, I'll take. They're both true, and you are stuck with that mantle, like it or not. You are our fearless leader, so onward to victory. Yeah, let's get there. There's so much going on. We have so much to talk about, like... With the CID coming up and mm-hmm. Kickstarter's currently going on and just all the stuff from the keynote. As you can tell, we've been very busy. Absolutely. Welcome back, Will. This is your third episode. You were just on a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm doing a Firestorm Blitz to basically Scorch Earth campaign everybody with uh, social media, giving episodes on everything they could possibly want. Before this, I had Matt on. After this, I have Oz coming. And then shortly after that, Danny Samuels. And we are just going to give you more than you can possibly handle uh, in a short amount of time. But all of this is to talk about the Kickstarter. I am really jazzed up for it. I am fully backing. And I have the man, the myth, the legend here to talk about it. Yeah, like we said earlier, there's so much to, to go over right now. And it's interesting. Like I'm doing a ton of podcasts this week. Uh, because, you know, we're not streaming in the office because of the pandemic. So there's not like dev chats or anything. So like coming here and chatting, it, it feels normal to me. It feels right. Like I'm getting to talk to the Definitely. community, which is what I normally get to do every week. And now that's been taken away. This is like filling a void in my heart of being able to get out here and like talk about this stuff. <laughs> well, I'm glad to fill the void in your heart, Will. Uh, I'm so empty. <laughs> I'll fill it with lots of fire. <laughs> Thanks. Um... Thank you. <laughs> so for the first time, uh, you launched Riot Quest on Kickstarter. Yes. There's a new season that would have normally released around the winter of 2020, which makes sense because it's called Wintertime Wasteland, uh, but now is poised to deliver via Kickstarter right around December, uh, just in time for my birthday. Yeah, which is actually a change of schedule. I mean, originally it was going to be coming out at um, Gen Con this oh. year. The idea was that every starter would come out at Gen Con, the beginning of every new season would be it would run from Gen Con to Gen Con. So like the the third season that comes after Wintertime Wasteland, mm-hmm. same thing. But um, the global situation changed drastically. Uh, and yeah, obviously there is no Gen Con. There are no cons at all. And there's just a lot going on in the world. And so, you know, the higher ups made the decision to, to get it onto Kickstarter and get it out, which also changed the release schedule of when it would be coming out. Because mm-hmm. originally it would have been just the starter only. And then the other 11 heroes you see in the Kickstarter would have trickled out Mm-hmm. From from August to December, 
we had a, we had a schedule that I had created of when every hero was dropping every month to kind of give a good parody of of classes, and the change to Kickstarter meant everybody's getting it all at once, but in that vein <laughs> you have to get it all when it's ready which would it has to be when the final product is ready which is december mm-hmm. it was it was an interesting change i would have bought it all anyway so now i get it all delivered to me in one box yeah Not complaining yep let's talk about the new team who's on this crew in the box so the new starter box is boom Howler the destroyer mm-hmm. uh Isila, shivers stone cold black bella and yuri the hunter and nice. this is the opposite so whereas the first starter was a good guy team i mean good guy bad guy has no rules effect in riot quest it's mm-hmm. more just the lore but whereas the first starter was nothing but traditional good guy heroes this is the all villain team like no one on here is a good guy these are all in the in the cartoon show these would all be bad guys mm-hmm. in the first season boom Heller was kind of the team leader opposite to iris is he the team leader of the box even more so he is definitely the team leader if if in the cartoon if eris is he-man boom Heller is skeletor um <laughs> that is the main rivalry of riot quests they kind of their their groups go from point a to point b that doesn't mean you'll always see them in every season but there will be references to definitely their teams or at least one of the two of them uh, or if they get replaced who replaced them and you will see them have leadery type abilities for example boom Haller the destroyer has the hoof it special ability which he basically points at someone tells them to move and someone else in your crew moves three spaces as a special action which is like, you know, a flip of motivator that the original heiress had where she sped people up around her. Like every and the original Boom Howler in season one had the uh, fell calls, which gave everyone an extra blue die on their attacks while they were near him. So these leader type characters will often have, you know, synergies like that where they are directly affecting the rest of the team and giving them some kind of benefit. That's awesome. And he totally makes a great Skeletor because he's so buff. He is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Skeletor was jacked, man. He has crazy gains. But I mean, this is Boom Howler triumphant which was the work in progress name i had written for him before he had his final name it was it was boom Howler mm. triumphant which well, i knew that wasn't going to be the final but it became boom Howler the destroyer and the idea was this is boom Howler after the season one he's he's won a lot of his fights he has gone and looted all these different places which we physically see him wearing on his armor as part of his armor like the jackhead pauldron and stuff like that and it's boom Howler who Boomhaller's solo artist was Boomhaller, who had put together a crew and was running around the wastes, just, you know, taking stuff out and looting like crazy and, and just enjoying life. And this is Boomhaller where all of a sudden he realizes, I could be king. There's no one who can stop me. I, if I want to, I will take over everything. And so now <laughs> we, we see a very determined, very dangerous Boomhaller because he actually has a mission. Tell me about the people on his crew, because he has a very diverse crew. Some of them have grown from the past, like Black Bella, and then others uh, we see are completely new. Yeah, so Black, we start with Black Bella, Stone Cold Black Bella. This is Bella. She is she is teamed all the way up with Boomhauer. She was part of the bad guy crew in the original one, but she is like really signed on with Boomhauer. They've come to an agreement, which they, they made it whole grinder. Uh, and have decided, like, basically the area around Signar, Ord, and Leo has been looted of everything really valuable. So Boomhaller is like, I'm going north into the old motherland to to find what's up there. And Bella is the first one, the only one of the old crew that really signs on and will accompany him. They see each other as sort of equals in terms of, of combat prowess. So we see hmm. Bella, she's got some a little bit more gear on her. We see her like a Mechanica glove she has where she has found her new pet during her trek up north. She found her her giant snow owl, Frostwing. Amazing. 
and she's trained it to go and harass people she's fighting or to go rob people of stuff whenever she's dealing with somebody else. She'll send Frostwing out to go grab like their weapons and their gear off of them and yank it back and bring it off over to her, which in Riot Quest, she makes people drop bounty tokens whenever she hits them with, with the bird. So yeah, this is Bella who who is, she's not like on the coattails of Boomhaller, just she sees something great happening and she is also believes in herself and her own greatness. And she's like, this is the villain team up, right? Where she's like, yeah, let's go do this. Shivers is a baby Gorax that Boomhaller discovered in the wild who had been abandoned. Nobody, he doesn't know what happened to its parents. Maybe they died. Maybe they just left it there. But he finds this, this newborn baby Gorax. And he's like, well, I'm not leaving this. Like, this is too much of a good opportunity. This is too valuable. So he takes it and he starts taking care of it with Bella's help. And Shivers, the baby Gorax, imprints on Boomhaller and thinks that Boomhaller is his mother. So whenever he talks about Boomhaller in the lore, he refers to him as mommy. And Boomhaller gets him a little bit of gear and he starts training Shivers to protect the crew no matter what, at, at, at any cost. He becomes their little guard. And Shivers watches Boomhaller start doing fell calls and starts trying to imitate his fell calls and kind of has some success. What he develops is this little baby Gorex tantrum yell that is so loud and so powerful, it can like break trees in half. So whenever Shivers flips out and throws a tantrum, which he particularly does whenever one of somebody like his mommy or one of his mommy's friends gets hurt, he just starts ripping things to shreds. So imagine like the loudest baby cry you've ever heard just turned up to a thousand. And just like, you know, ears start bleeding, armor starts buckling and people just get flung backwards. Also, remember Baby Gorax has a deep voice from the beginning of the game. It does. Yeah, it does have a deep voice. Super deep voice. Baby uh, deep voice. Baby deep voice. It's still it's a baby wine, but it's got bass to it. Nice. Uh, Yuri, the hunter, is the claiming happened and the motherland fell apart and everything that was basically Yuri's life that was keeping him in place. You know, the orders he had to follow, the things he had to do was all gone. And suddenly he was his own free man. So he just went in the wilds and he just li lived in the wilds like a primal survivalist. And we see that like he's he's wielding a Tharn bow that he clearly took off some Tharn. He's wearing Lug. Like if you look at his bare cloak and you look at the back of it, it is Lug. So he's just been out there sort of doing his own thing. That's why he has the lowest tech level of almost any Riot Quest character. He's just pure nature, whatever he can find. Boomhaller sort of comes across him. They recognize each other. And uh, when Yuri is trying to hunt Boomhaller for coming in his territory, and Boomhaller kind of just offers him a better life and says, like, hey, you can come with us and show us around the motherland. You know, you'd be a great guide here. And I could use someone like you. And in return, you know, you won't have to scavenge for food. We'll get you food and, and stuff like that. And, and Yuri agrees. And then Isila is the most mysterious one. As they're traveling up north, they come across the first blighted nist they've seen, period, since the claiming. They'd seen the Meccano Shredder and was like, well, that's weird. They come across this blighted nist, but she's not under Everblight's control anymore. And she shows up and she doesn't really have good memories of what happened. She has really screwed up, shattered memories of, of what happened up north. And then mm. just was trying to get as far away from it as possible. And her ice magic, being she was kind of an ice witch, her ice magic's all tainted. It's like toxic ice magic. So she'll create a blizzard, but it's made of like frozen acid that sticks <laughs> to people like snow does. And then it melts and dissolves them. Amazing. Yeah. 
she wears a mask and no one's seen under it. And any, well, anyone who has seen under it hasn't lived to talk about it. So no one's 100% sure who she is. Oh. Just that she goes by the name Isila. And she has a really, really bad attitude. She's, she's a Debbie Downer. She's always like, like whatever. <laughs> whenever they get a big score and they're like, look at all this gold. Look how much all this loot we found. She's like, yeah, I guess that's better than having parents or whatever. And then she'll just wander off. <laughs> and they're just like, hi, Isila. So, yeah, that's the five characters in the starter box. Oh, man. You know, so as soon as I saw that Yuri had a thorn bow and that Kogan was missing an arm, I was like, I wonder if that's Kogan's bow. <laughs> no, Kogan's a Ravager, so he never had the bow. He he still wields it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a blood pack. I was going to say, poor Yuri just getting up in there and just, like, ripping people's arms off. But yeah, yeah. sounds Yuri's... like something he'd do anyways. And that's the thing. I wanted to make Savage Yuri. Mm. It was like Yuri's one of the people in Kador that if every, if the crap hit the fan, he could just live because surviving in Kador post claiming isn't in the right quest timeline. Isn't just about all the, the damage that's been done. It's also just surviving mm. the winters. That yeah. have, right. And like it takes a special kind of person and he's one of them. Interesting. The Kickstarter gives people the chance to go deeper and get more minis from the line. As a matter of fact, if you're like me, you can get all 16 minis in the first wave. Yeah. So let's talk about the other heroes and villains coming out. The Gen Con starter was the first five, and then the other heroes and villains were the ones you were going to see until Christmas. But now they're all coming out at once. You've got Linda the Forgotten, who is an, <laughs> infernal, an infernal cultist who... Post-claiming, she thought she was going to go with the rest of the cultists, you know, back to Infernal Land or whatever's supposed to happen to them. I mean, these cultists worship the Infernals not for power, because also they expected something to happen, like their version of the Rapture. And mm. Linda was left behind. She was just forgotten. So she she comes up post-claiming, and she's like, wait a second. Where? What? Oh. So the first thing she does is she goes to all the cult sites, <laughs> and she just robs them. She just takes every old artifact and every Infernal, uh, you know, talisman they had. And she starts wandering the waste, basically just being like, I know how to use all these arcane artifacts. So I'm going to become sort of a walking hoarder of, of the arcane. And she will trade in things. She steals things. She is just a, a collector of different things because this is her life now. Like she expected to, to make her way to the other side and, and she's been left behind. And it's the best she can do. Uh, Linda's my spirit animal. I love her <laughs> so much. Linda's, Linda's very special to me. Kogan the Exile we mentioned earlier, he's a Tharn Ravager who was out in the wilds and got his arm ripped off. And <laughs> uh, we never say what ripped his arm off. Something ripped his arm off. And then uh, scavengers found him while he was dying, and they built him a new mechano arm. And it's, it's much bigger than his regular arm. He has this giant mechanical, you know, steam-powered arm. Mm. So for saving him, he let them go. He goes back to his tribe, and his tribe immediately exiles him. They're like, how, how dare you use... The creations of you know the, the the old iron kingdoms to heal yourself you know, <laughs> you're, you're supposed to follow the devourer worm and he's like fine so he wanders as an exiled tharn now with his giant mechano arm which he still wields his ravager axe in he's just you know kind of trying to he 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 is still a tharn at heart he's just willing to embrace a little bit more of the technology of the the old iron kingdoms it's uh, so Tharn for them to be like, and if you want to keep being a Tharn, you have to rip your new arm off. And he's like, yeah, I think I'll keep the arm. Yeah, he's just like, no. So he got he got booted out. 
Captain Carly <laughs> is, as I like to say, she she is Vasquez from Aliens for me. That was mm. like my starting point. She's an Ogren trencher who wields a grenade revolver. Uh, she is, well, some characters are more comedic and some characters are more serious. And you actually kind of notice in this batch, it's a little bit more serious characters overall. Even amongst the serious characters, like Kogan the Exile is a, a serious character. That's something that could exist in just the standard timeline. Like a, a, a Tharn that got injured, got repaired by some mechanic, and then got exiled mm-hmm. from his tribe. And Captain Carly, definitely. Like, she's just a no-nonsense, you know, military captain who is an ogre and who used to run with the express teams. Uh, so she just runs around the waste now because there's not really a trencher core left, just doing what she can do to survive. And, like, she just takes on an absolute military militaristic leader role in any crew that she she joins. That's why she has abilities that, like, help out other people on your team. She has the coordinated fire ability that gives AIM the gunner ability to all other nearby heroes. So... I like having characters like her and Dez in with the rest of the group, just the characters that are out in the, the waste and just being like, they, they see the, the flubbins and the gubbins and the, the shivers and the flugwugs of the world. And they're like, I don't care. It's all, it, it's just another thing to, that's in my way that I have to deal with before I can go get what I need to get. I made a little mini fact. I've, I've separated all my uh, riot quest guys into like little mini sub factions. And one of them is a, revolutionary army that's like forming to try to fight off the waste and a bunch of them are painted in green fatigue so it includes like Dez and uh, some of the others holding military style weapons. I painted um, Helga's motorcycle to have the little uh, star on the side of it. Nice. I want to get her a sidecar and like put the uh, Dunian menace in it or something. That's amazing. That would be an amazing conversion. That sounds so badass. What's <laughs> gonna happen now? So, so underboss... Yeah, we've got nine more to get through. I'll try and speed this up so we can get through more. Uh, underboss Viscova is an ex-Kayazi underboss uh, who, again, the Kayazi have fallen apart. So he is using his skills kind of as a B&E expert. Um, he has like a grappling gun and a bladed crowbar. So he's still like a Kayazi badass, but he's just really, really good at getting into the locked places <laughs> that other people can't get into. He's your traditional like Mission Impossible style hero who like is going to come down the grappling hook and like bypass the traps in the old dungeon and get to the treasure chest that's locked and unlock it and, you know, get the best stuff out of it and zip back out. Dez and Gubb and Dynamite Duo is mm-hmm. the first tag team hero. So they are a rogue gunner hero. They count as both classes at the same time. And this is a story-driven character. It's Gubbin got jealous of Flubbin being able to fly. It went to Dez as they're heading up north to go uh, go find more loot and, and find some of their old friends. And he's like, will you fire me out of a cannon? And Dez, being the character she is, is like, I don't care, of course. So she builds <laughs> this giant mortar and she fires it normally. She has normal shot. She shoots out of it. But every now and then, Gubbin stuffs himself in there with a handful of explosives. She aims up and just fires him over the battlefield where he just starts throwing dynamite down on people. And then he somehow miraculously lands safely and scampers back over to Dez. So it's just the two of them working in tandem. And in the rest of the season, you're going to see more tag team characters coming out. That's just two characters that have decided to, to team up and, and use their abilities together. Uh, Major Aline Bennett is an ex-Crucible Guard. Well, her Crucible Guard Rocketman squad went down, and mm. she, after burying them, took the gear they had, and she's a Warcaster. Well, she was at the point of Warcaster in training. She used their gear to fashion herself a new jetpack, rocket pack, that melded with her Warcaster armor, and continued her training, and now sort of scours the waste as a... She, she's probably the most good guy, good guy in the entire set. 
She just is, exists to help people. She flies around when there is trouble, scorching baddies with her flamethrowers. And as a warcaster, she's obviously an incredibly powerful character in the setting. Uh, and she'll just fly by, land with a smile and a wink, and then take back off. She's just... She's she's the most traditional, almost superhero character in the setting. That she just goes where she's needed, does what she can, and then and then flies back away. She never stays in a single crew for too long. I love her so much. It's amazing. I'm so excited. I'm gonna go buy a whole Crucible Guard army just so I can play her. Yeah, I mean, I think people have been wanting a Crucible Guard Rocket Mancaster for a long time, and and this was the perfect opportunity to do it. And I I do love how just peppy and happy and altruistic her character gets to be. And the model uh, looks sick. And the model looks sick. Yeah, it does. Her and the Thunderhead snake. Fortress is a Crucible Guard fortress, so like the extra Crucible Guard tie-ins are really interesting. Yeah, it was an old abandoned one that that was the first place everybody went and looted. We got five more heroes to talk about. Go, old, go, old, go, old, go. Old, old Grim is a—he's uh, a weird one. I mean, he is a Widowmaker Marksman Wraith pistol wraith, but he's wielding a rifle. So no one's like, when you look at him in War Machine, he is a Kador Crix Widowmaker Wraith solo. He looks like a, a, a Kador, you know, Widowmaker who's become a Pistol Wraith, but he's using a rifle instead of a pistol. And normally Pistol Wraiths are only bound to pistols, so no one's sure how this happened. And he's obviously the only one of his kind, but he floats around the waist just harassing people and trying to take souls. He's, he's doing very traditional Wraithy stuff. And unlike Pistol Wraiths, which might, like, almost duel people in a sadistic way, he just floats around and just snipes people. And he's just constantly <laughs> out there in the wastes sniping people randomly and then going about his business he's a griefer and if you can manage to get him on your side for a little bit nobody even knows really how to entice him or what you could give him but sometimes he'll join up and then eventually he just disappears in the night bulkhead is a uh huge huge model uh and yeah he's a man of war He's a man of war breacher, basically. He's a man of war from a, a type of man of war we had never seen in War Machine, where he is like the front line, smash through the gates of a fortress and be the first one through the breach. So he has this giant man of war sized riot shield and then a sawed off double barrel shot cannon, where he's supposed to, like, he's the juggernaut. Get behind him. He's going to barrel his way through the enemy line, specifically through, like, reinforced buildings and create a hole he's going to kool-aid man his way into the place <laughs> you need to be oh yeah blast some shots and just be the one that is soaking up all the fire while everyone else spreads in behind him he fills almost a warjack role in that sense like a marauder you know wow. but he's like he's like a, a walking marauder uh but you know marauders do it through their giant piston rams versus him doing it just by running headfirst into the thing <laughs> Stone Lord Gubal Godor is a, one of the actual Stone Lords of Rule, which if you go back to the old fiction, they are the leaders of Rule. So obviously, if he's come down from the mountain, that means that something has gone really bad in, in Rule post-claiming in the Rag Quest timeline. So he is decked out in his full, like, royal armor with his twin mechanical hammers, and he's coming back just claiming as much loot as he can. He is more of a good guy, but he has definitely got the old Searforge mentality of I'm here for the goods. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm here to get as much loot as I can, and he's bringing it back somewhere. So no one's exactly sure what his motives are. But he tends to, to hang out with the good guys more than the bad guys. I love him so much. He's awesome looking. I love, I love his just armored head to toe, you know, mm -hmm. dual wielding these giant hammers. He's such a badass looking little character. Yeah, he is. And then the other two... In the Kickstarter, Gudrun the Wasted is yes. 
Gudrun the Wanderer, but he got drunk and slept through the claiming. Best story. He woke up and he thought he went on a bender so hard he caused the end of the world. So he swore off the booze and started just wandering around looking for people to find out what the hell has happened. In the process of this, he found himself a mechanomall that was laying amongst some, some scavengers who had been defeated who were laying knocked out. And he sort of snatched it up and he realized it absorbs kinetic energy and he could actually uh, sort of sustain himself off the kinetic energy. Like he could drink off of it. He could, he could uh, live off the kinetic energy discharges that came off this really weird mechanical arcane mall. So he became addicted to the mall instead of drinking booze. <laughs> so he's not drinking booze anymore, but he's wandering around with this mall, just trying to like put the pieces together and figure out what's going on and where, where is everybody? And he's still sort of, you know, wasted. And, and, and trying to sort it all out. He's just confused, basically. What is proving to be the, the favorite of favorite model of everybody in the Kickstarter? Bumbles. Bumbles is a Northkin battle bear who his beast handlers died in the claiming and he started wandering around and he would wander up to groups of people and he's just super duper friendly unless you make him mad. At which point he will maul you like a gigantic polar bear. And he, <laughs> he would wander up to people, they would feed him, he would hang out for a while, just be cuddly. He would help them out. If they went on like looting missions, he would go with them. And if somebody tried to hurt his friends, he'd run up and just maul them to pieces, then run back over and keep playing with everybody. And bit by bit, every crew he hung out with, they would fashion armor for him. Until eventually he's wearing effectively polar bear full plate. He just, he, he wanders in, loves on you, hangs out with you. And then one day he just wanders off. There's no rhyme or reason to why Bumbles does it. Bumbles just is... The cuddly and highly destructive battle bear that he is. Amazing. And that's the 16 characters of the Kickstarter. On the last episode of Field of Fire, I interviewed Matt, and you had a question. You posted a Sophie's Choice uh, style question in the questions that I asked from the audience to give him. Uh, And so you said Shivers, Bumbles, Flubbin, or the Rabbit on the Dunia Archon. Okay. Um, He said to keep Bumbles, obviously. Um, I said to keep Shivers. So I'm going to give you your own Sophie's choice here. We're going to go with the badasses. Is it Gudrun the Wasted, Mm -hmm. Stone Lord, Gouvel Godor, Bulkhead, or Kogan? You only get to keep one. Uh, Gouvel. Stone Lord, Gouvel Godor. Um, I love references to really old fluff that have never been realized in the game yet. Uh, Mm -hmm. And whereas Bulkhead and Kogan are sort of new creations on existing archetypes and Gudrun is an updated iteration of an existing character, the Stone Lords of Rule have been talked about since the old OGL days of the RPG. Mm -hmm. And we've never seen one. And so finally getting to see one of the Stone Lords come down off the mountain, I think if if you're an old school lore fan this is a really cool model for that reason and so i have to stick with it i agree i disagreed with matt but i'm agreeing with you uh hungerford we are of yeah. the same mind on that what an yeah. epic character yeah and, and people saw his war machine on horse rules so far and they're they're generally pretty happy they're still working you know they're still like playtest rules so things are subject to change but uh people seem overall pretty cool with what he does Nice. A couple fun questions here. Which villain is most likely to have a subplot of their own? Maybe to kill the rest of the party or, like, loot them all? So, I will say, are we saying all of Riot Quest or just the new characters? Mm. You know, I'll say all of Riot Quest. Malvin. Absolutely Malvin. Um, 
Malvin is the ultra villain that showed up that was the bad guy to not just the good guys and the bad guys, but the bad guy to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we showed, we saw him show up with mayhem and he's been defeated. We, we haven't said how or what has happened, but Malvin is not the kind of character to take it lying down. <laughs> the boss characters each season, I think, and the boss of this season is not a second iteration of Malvin and mayhem. It is something far, far scarier. I think Matt made reference to something, something having to do with Karchev, but it's not, what, it's not exactly what, it's not exactly what you think. It's, it's far worse. Um, oh my God. But boss characters to me are, are just as major characters as the heiresses and boom howlers, the, 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 the crew leaders. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think if, you know how back in the day you'd have cartoons and then there'd be the cartoon movie, like there was GI Joe and then there was oh, GI yeah. Joe, the movie, right? So good. To me, the boss characters are the ones that show up in the movies. They're the ones that are like the big, big villain for the movie that's like, you know, fighting everybody. And then they end up losing by the end of the movie. And then maybe they show up in a later season of the cartoon here or there or they're referenced. And Malvin is definitely the one currently. But when we get to the end of this season, y'all see the pure insanity that's been cooked up for this season's boss. I think when I tell people just the, the basic premise, it's going to be like, X and Y happened, and then Z. Everyone's going to be like, that actually is plausible, makes sense, and is horrific. Oh, man. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Malvin and Mayhem has been a really interesting piece of inspiration in that they were the first kind of cornerstone to me wanting to write the Riot Quest radio show. I was like, oh, there's a lot here to develop. When we started writing him, we were like, all right, so what kind of voice is he? And I went back to your notes, and you know, you kind of you said, like, Cobra Commander meets Dr. Claw from <laughs> Inspector Gadget. But with a gobber's voice. With a gobber's voice, yes. So that was it. And so we all kind of took our hand at trying to voice it. And uh, I think I'm going to end up voicing Malvin that's somewhere between like Cobra Commander meets Mark Hamill's Joker. Yeah. Yeah. As I a mean, goblin. There you go. Right. Like that would be his voice dead on. <laughs> Well, uh, listeners, you're going to have to tune in to the RagQuest radio show coming up soon to uh, get more of that. Yeah. So back on some serious questions, let's talk about the Kickstarter stretch goals and the reward system. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of really good stuff. So there's the the whole, like, loot token, like the vault, where based on the, the, the funding level, people will get different prize tickets and bounty tokens. Mm-hmm. And they could spend those prize tickets to get things like alt sculpts of season one characters that have been sort of winter five. Like we see a, an alternate Gorman the Mad where he's got a winter cap and his, his gun looks more like a snowblower. There's an alternate Harlow where he's got like a big, uh, he, he has like a cane two pose where he's standing on a pile <laughs> of gold firing mm-hmm. in either direction. There's an alternate Mechano Shredder where he's eating a Cortex. That one's and my then- favorite. The uh, the bounty tokens is like a bunch of bling. There's going to be a new bounty deck that you'll be able to get out of it that's separate from mm-hmm. the starter one. And then there's also just like the Dooney and Menace and some car- coin stacks, a giant mountain of treasure, just like different things that you can add to decorate your bases. And I think these are all just cool, fun add-ons that make your game sweeter. Then, of course, there's the stretch goals. Like we've got extra gear coming up. People have unlocked the Mechanical Maniac. They haven't unlocked the first piece of legendary gear yet, which is the Mechano Rapture, which legendary gear has a rule on it. All the legendary gear, the first rule is you may not have more than one piece of legendary gear in your hand. So legendary gear has got a, usually a cost of six or more loot, and they are just hyper powerful gear pieces, but they are limited to one per. And 
Meccano Rapture, like the Meccano Shredder, is yet another hint at something weird going on yes. with the, the forces of Legion. Aside from that, we've got like cool collector's cards that have like heroes and then like a bit of their bio and backstory. But the next goal we're almost at is the neoprene playmat of the Castle of the Dark Prince, which is the, the starting map that's in the box. But it's a special version of it where it adds variant rules and trap doors and the lighting changes. So if the, the starter box one, the poster map is like daytime. The neoprene one is nighttime, and then there's special new hexes that are trap doors that you could traverse on the map where you pop down one trap door and you pop out of somewhere else on the map that you can kind of control, but there's a roll involved. And if you screw the roll up, you actually just go straight to the cooler. Like you fall, you fall through the map and disappear. But you might also just be able to teleport, like teleport around the map. It's a really fun variant for people that want to play with the, the neoprene version. So yeah, there's a ton of just sweet rewards i'd say anybody who hasn't gone and checked it out go to the kickstarter just search kickstarter you know riot quest wintertime wasteland and and look at all the fun stuff that's available and all the stuff we're getting closer and closer to unlocking right now i am so stoked especially i really hope that we unlock that cano rapture like the Meccano legion stuff is so interesting and i'm really excited for it there's another legendary gear further down to be unlocked when we get up that high that i'm not going to spoil because if people don't see it they don't see it, but there's two legendary cards that will possibly be available in the stretch goals, and Mechano Rupture is the first one. I needs it. Yeah, I needs it. it. <laughs> Before we move out of Riot Quest and into the War Machine topic portion of this podcast, I want to touch on one thing, yeah. and that is Major yeah. Lean Bennett. She's a black female officer. Yes. I love that you're putting a black woman in a position of leadership. Mm -hmm. There is no part about this message I don't love. Riot Quest has always been kind of a beacon of inclusiveness. If you look at like even Dez and some of these other like various body types that you guys go for, you did a really good job of showing inclusion and representation. Spoiler of my own, on the upcoming episode of the Riot Quest radio show, the Wolf with No Name and Captain Crawltooth have this really kind of serious, heartfelt discussion about what kind of skin it takes to fit in on the crew. It requires them to have a human skin to be more like their compatriots and uh, what that kind of means for their outlook. And one thing I love about Saturday morning cartoons is, you know, you watch and there is a message there. There's usually some kind of lesson to learn or in not every episode, some episodes, it's just like lasers and explosions and super villains and stuff yeah. like that. There's usually that PSA at the end, though. Exactly. There's always something that, you know, you can kind of take away from it. And we knew doing the show that we wanted there to be some takeaways. And I think that. Riot Quest is such a great platform for this. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Tell me about like what goes through you guys' head when you're creating and, and pushing and developing these characters. Sure. And and I would actually say it's not just it's not just Riot Quest. You could see it we, we try to make sure all of our games Absolutely. are as, it, as inclusive as they, they can be. Because you know, gamers are we're a diverse culture across the world, and, and, and that is no different from gamers. And I want to make sure that anybody coming into the game enjoys the looks at all the different types of characters we're creating, because that's what we're doing, right? We're just making heroes, we're making villains, no matter what game it is, War Machine, Riot Quest, Mompok. You want to make sure that there's always something that everyone can relate to, that's, that's something everyone understands, and that it's not just a, you know, a, a very mono view of, of the world. That's not how the real world is. And you know, since my days as being quartermaster, I've always been, everyone is welcome. 
you know, and we want to make sure the games feel the same way that, you know, a new kid coming into the game, let's say a younger adult comes in and sees, they, they see stuff that catches their eye, something that, uh, that interests them and that they, they can relate to. It's just the same as superheroes, right? And, and I'm a huge comic book fan and I read a ton of comics and it's, it's just as important there that these heroes represent the diversity of the real world and don't become uh, just a, a subset of things. And so it's just something it's always on our, our minds. It's, it's just part of when we, we, we make it, it's not like, Oh, we, we specifically have to, you know, do this, 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 it's just, it's just there. And so when we were making Aline and, you know, we knew we were gonna have this badass high flying officer. Uh, it just sort of happened naturally that that's, that's, you know, we wanted her to, to be a black female officer and also just loved her personality. You know, yeah. when we were looking at, the 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 sculpt of the the face. I remember looking at a lot of just popular actresses. I looked a lot at like uh, like Halle Berry and her smile because the big thing I wanted was that smile to come through. Like she just looks happy and she looks like she's having a good time and she looks like very warm and inviting. And that's another thing isn't isn't just always necessarily the ethnicity, but the the message you're sending with the character. Mm-hmm. Like if, if Rykos was all dark and evil all the time, that would send its own message, but it's good to have a mix of characters like your Dez's and your Captain Carly's and your major Aline's where you go from hard nosed badass to someone who's literally flying around killing people with a flamethrower. But at the same time, she is the, the lovable good guy. And I, I think inclusivity just reaches out to all aspects so mm-hmm. that, you know, if you are into the dark and scary, we've got the dark and scary. If you're into the cute and lovable, we've gotten the cute and lovable. And then from no matter what walk of life you come from, hopefully we have something that you can relate to and be like, I dig that. That that speaks to me. I want to play with that model. Or hell, I just want to even paint that model and have it in my collection, even if I don't play the, the that game. Mm-hmm. It's a really great model and a really great story. I really like the... So when you said Halle Berry, the one I was really thinking of when I saw her was Janelle Monet. Um, yeah. She plays in that uh, movie about the female astronauts at NASA. And I was like, man, what a great nod to like the strength of that story. And one of my favorite characters in the Captain Marvel movie was her, her friend pilot, who's... I don't remember the name yeah. of the character at the time. But that was such a great and interesting character, and the actress did such a good job. You know, knowing we were doing a female pilot, just thinking of different different types of ways we could go. And also, it was interesting because I don't think we had at this point shown there aren't many characters in the Crucible Guard that you've seen unmasked. Like you've seen Alice, you've seen yeah, you've seen Locke, and you've seen Baldwin and Claw, mm-hmm. right? And so at that point, we had only had uh, white characters, and it's like, well, that's definitely not. Lale, right? Like, it, <laughs> you know, this was this was another great opportunity to further expand, you know, the what what the Crucible Guard is, and 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 Lale, and the, the 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 kind of people it comes comes from. So, it just felt like everything kind of fell into place. Nice. So, I think that puts a great cap on the Riot Quest stuff. And so, the moment everybody has been waiting for on the edge of their seats, as soon as they hear your name, William mm-hmm. Hungerford, and podcast in the same sentence, they're like, oh, snap. So, they're like, it's going like, to be full of nonsense and B jokes. <laughs> Probably. Oh, man. The B jokes never end. Never. So let's talk about War Machine and Horus. Uh, There were a lot of reveals in the keynote, some very surprising ones. Yes. 
yeah and in the, in the keynote we showed off the the legion block models and the concept art we showed off the troll block concept art then we showed off the 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 two new archons coming after that and then after that i went into what the next two blocks are after so mm-hmm. for those who missed it we talked about so first we did the the legion one which is all centered around the virtues it's ever blight sort of perfect creation this new race he's created and the blight archon he's created and what he's done to bethane and belphegor is an experiment to make these things come into being to deal with the infernal invasion and the machinations of of other archons He's basically disgusted by the other gods that they would send these false angels down when in his mind, he is the only true God of Cain and (laughs) he feels pity and humiliation for the infernals that there's this entire race that their whole existence is simply collecting souls. And it's, he feels embarrassed for them. So he's like, I will show the world perfection. And he took Bethany and Belphegor and pulled them apart and put them back together like putty over and over and over again, just figuring out the limitations of flesh. And at the end, the virtues and the the blight archon were what came out of that. Mm. On the troll side of things, what you're seeing is the the children of Dunia, specifically the more militaristic children of Dunia. And this is not just the trolls, but the pharaoh who worship Dunia as well, realizing their lands are being destroyed by these wars and coming together to start an actual like unified front to fight back with guns and god basically and so you're seeing like the trollkin barrage team gunbjorn 2 the pharaoh sapper and this is all going to be part of the new theme force the vengeance of dunia which is a mixed troll blood pharaoh theme force all built around the idea of guns and god gunbjorn uh, got a promotion he's he, brigadier general brigadier general yeah yeah he did he also swapped out the bazooka for a very very powerful rifle uh oh. which you'll learn more about what that thing does that's a, a rifle meant for putting holes in war jacks wow like yeah it's 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 nasty amazing then after that there's sort of a mini release before the next block and that mini release is the two new archons the death archon and the defiled archon which we'll talk about here in a bit isaiah the dread harvester which is grimkin's first dragoon it's basically the nice. the headless horseman it's a dread rot dragoon that when he gets dismounted he starts throwing his head at people and making other dread rods the um, concept art is so sick it is. He's riding a Frightmare. It's like a super Frightmare. It's so good looking. And then after that, I basically said, after that will be in 2021, will be the, the next uh, block will be Retribution. It'll be the House Elowir block, which is all about expanding the House Elowir forces. For people that aren't familiar, that's Thyron and his the House Elowir swordsman. And then after that is what I am calling the Drugs Are Bad block for Crucible Guard, mm. which is all really going into the screwed up stuff that Crucible Guard has done with their their serums and their chemical treatments and what they have created and some of their failed experiments that mm. have been thrown onto the battlefield because they've got another use for them. And then there's some other really, really huge things coming out in 2021 that I, it's a little too early to talk about and then much more after that. So a lot of War Machine stuff coming. Emphasis on the huge, he said may, huge. May, maybe a little bit of an emphasis on the huge. Oh man! So you you covered a lot. There's so much, so many exciting things to talk about. Yeah, but uh, let's let's deep dive. Yes, man. Now I have to buy a Crucible Guard uh, faction. Like <laughs> this is the conclusion of this podcast. So what can you tell me about the Death Archon? So the Death Archon, everyone is super worried about and doesn't understand where they come from. The Void Archons were already pretty mysterious, but people think that maybe they're a representation of the Abyss and the Void. But the Death Archons seem to have sort of 
manifested around these massive sites of carnage where there are literally piles and mountains of bodies left behind. And they seem to be manifestations of corporeal death. And where they show up, they just start spreading that. It's too early for us to announce what, what factions they work for and all the stuff that they do. But they share a lot, like... We look at characters like Barnabas, the Lord of Blood. He definitely is ascending, had ascend, ascended to demigodhood mm-hmm. through carnage. That's how he did it, right? Like mm-hmm. the big fight uh, between him and Man Carver on the pile of bodies. He he took his power in through the spilling of blood and carnage. Death Archons are not that far off, but they're sort of coalesced, coalesced spirits, coalesced archons, coalesced divine manifestations. It's just what divinity do they follow you know people might worry that are these barnabas archons are these like archons generated out of the ever-growing carnage coming out of him or are they something separate and you know we may or may not answer that question but that's sort of their shtick they they are built around just people shaking loose the mortal coil and them helping that occur mm. and the art for that i don't even know what to say hungerford they're Heart's terrifying happening. they're terrifying yeah yeah, instantly got like I, I know I was watching it and I stood up where I was sitting and started clapping and I was like, yeah, yeah they're they're sick looking. I can't wait to see the final sculpt and the final model. Awesome. Uh, I love your concept for the Grimkin Archon as well. Like converting a Mennonite Archon is such a spiteful tie-in to the foundation of like Grimkin and their story and who they are. And then the method for like destroying his foes is like stabbing them and reading in the Merlaz rites, which is just completely insane. So talk to me a little bit about the Grimkin Archon. Sometimes I have to get really dark. Because there are things in War Machine that are super dark. And Grimkin, you, you can look at the piggybacks, you can look at Nace Slayers and the more whimsical yeah. aspects of Grimkin, but Grimkin's a really dark faction. And when I, I knew I wanted to make, when we did the Blight Archon, that was me kind of saying, okay, it's okay to have faction-specific Archons. And then, but not all of them would be. So the, the you know, uh, the Death Archon, I will tell you, is not mono-faction. But then Grimkin, I was like, man, Grimkin, we have a really cool opportunity here because their hatred for Minoth what would happen if they got their hands on a, a, a Minite Archon and then pulled it down into their realm? Because time in their realm flows differently. They could twist and torture this thing for what might be a few days in our time, but who knows how it could be millennia in their time. Amazing. And so it was like, okay, what is this thing going to look like? I was like, first off, it's going to kind of look like a testament to the heretic, which you can kind of see in the face and so on and a little bit of the aesthetic. But at the same time, it's got to keep the body and the the shell of the Midnight Archon that it was. And then I was like, all right, let's, if this thing is supposed to be, the the, the Defiled Archon is a testament to blasphemy. And I was like, let's go all in. So first thing, take the Minifixes and flop them upside down. You know, let's, 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 let's go with that iconography. And then, you know, turn the wings from fire into screaming faces and skin. And let's just really get the darkest version of a fairy tale we can and then push it one step past that into something that is just, when you look at it, it's a mockery of a a made-up religion. And, you know, if this was a real-world counterpart, this thing would cause, like, this would be a major problem. But because it's a mockery of a made-up religion, like, we were able to really delve into what that would be. And that's what the Grimkin are doing. When they release these things... They are doing it purely to just look in Minoth's face and just spit in his face and be like, look, look what we did. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's why it does things like it has the, the book with the twisted version of the, the canon of the first law of the true law. And it impales people and then it starts reading them these screwed up versions of Minite rights to them. 
as it's <laughs> as it's torturing them. So it's just sort of like the inverse, or at least weird, weird and twisted and dark versions of old uh, parables and, and fables that might have been written down in the old Menai books before it just slings what's left of them off its spear and then goes on to the next one. So if in Menoth, uh, a rack makes you explode, the inverse to that would be making people implode. So when he stabs them, they just like implode, turn into uh, a weapon. They don't, they don't, <laughs> they definitely have a really bad time. And let's just say that they're, if they are a Menite follower, their soul does not carry on to the city of walls. Definitely stays to be tormented and added to the wings. There's kind of a Freddy Krueger thing going on there. <laughs> Sick. Let's talk about the pig and troll can crossover. What can you tell me about that? I know specifically when I said, hey, I'm going to have Hungerford on, that was like the first question. Someone was like, what can I find out? And I'm like, probably nothing. So, but <laughs> uh, I, I described the fluff of it earlier. Um, and it's a new theme force. Uh, it's the Vengeance of Dunia. It's the current name of it. It was called Dunia's Vengeance before. We just messed, changed it up a little bit. It is the first, the first benefit line of it is all models in this faction are considered to be troll blood and minion models. So it's one of those ones where everybody benefits from everybody's faction buffs. It's going to use a mix of, like one of the lines of the things you could take is Pharaoh model slash units with ranged weapons, as an example. I was very careful to make sure it didn't step on Creole Company's toes and that it offered something different. Another another bullet point on it is Dunian models slash units, which right now covers the Dunian Archon. The Dunian Knot falls into that, stuff like that. But you're going to see a lot of things with guns, things that are very shamanistic slash religious in the worship of Dunia. And then you are going to see a melee force because, again, this is supposed to be the more militaristic aspect. So it's it's not all the ranged options in Creole Company. If you want a purely ranged Trollblood force, that's Creole Company. It is very specific in the kinds of ranged options on the Trollblood side you can take, which does include the new Barrage team. And then it picks and chooses a few other things, and it does add a, a very tough, very strong frontline melee element, with the idea being that the, you've got your, your heavy soldiers up front marching into battle while the rest of these forces are just shooting and, and casting prayers from the back lines to so support these traditional military spearheads into the enemy. Amazing. It really shows both the development and like the fluff side and within the concept of like how this would operate on the game table. Yeah, I mean, that's stuff that I have to keep in mind for every... The first block I created was the Legion block. The next one is the Troll one, and then the other two I mentioned. And, and every time I approach one of these blocks, it's, it's how does this fit... Okay, what's the fluff? What is the idea? What's happening? How does this tell a story? then where does that fit into the army? Then how does that make for interesting gameplay experiences? Which, as people see the Legion one, they'll definitely, I'll be able to explain more of that of, of you know, first was the idea of what, what would Everblight's reaction be to the Infernals and the Archons, which was the, you know, a birth of a new race and his own Archon. Like that was the the, the, the original concept. Like he would make his own. He's a, he's a egomaniac. Like he would just make his own to be like, screw y'all. Like, how do you think you're better than me? And then he would create a new race to protect the souls of his warriors. And then it was like, okay, where does that fit? Where does that go? And then I might kind of be getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but I'll kind of go ahead and just go into the, the development of, of, yeah. of how the Legion stuff went. Let's just roll so, right into Legion. Yeah, because yeah, we're kind of talking about that. It's First was this new, this new block of models. How do they work together? And how can we, this is a new theme. The Virtues are a new thing. The Blight Archon is a new thing tied to them. And Bethane too is tied to them. So they're all thematically connected. So what, 
what glue can we create that, that ties them all together? And the idea was the use of corrosion, the use of the purity of Everblight's, Everblight's blight. That the blight in these creatures is so strong, they literally secrete toxicity. And that was their main way of attacking. So all of them have stacking benefits regarding the corrosion continuous effect, whether that is removing immunity corrosion from other people, like the Blight Archon does, whether that is keeping corrosion continuous effect on people with caustic presence, like the Virtue Champion does, whether that's getting boosted attack and damage rolls against models suffering corrosion, like the the virtues do or whether that's like bethane too who has withering humor like the crucible guard where it's negative two armor to something hit unless they're unless they're immune to corrosion she has ways to give that to units on the legion side so you can just start spreading negative two mm. armor all across the enemy forces but you have to be able to make sure they're not immune to corrosion which it, this all plays together right it all works together and it has mm -hmm. that theme and then once that theme had been developed and we started making those mechanics it's it's how does all this plug into the rest of legion and it was, the Blood Archon's going to go into all the theme forces. Easy. Bethane's going to go into all the theme forces. She's a warlock. Okay. It was like, where do the virtues really belong? And then we started looking at Legion and saying, okay, what do we really want to work on? And where does this make sense? And the decision was Oracles with its corrosion benefit working well. And then Children of the Dragon. Like Everblight specifically made the virtues to protect the souls of his followers that have souls, which the vast majority of those would be the Blightedness. So going into Oracles mm -hmm. and Children would be what made the most sense. So now let's make sure that these things work really well in those theme forces. Then let's look at those theme forces and let's determine what legacy models available to those theme forces, including all the war beasts need to be updated. And that was just, that's sort of just the, the stepping stones. It just starts at concept. Then what does that concept do? Where does that concept fit? Then where, what it's fitting into, what do we need to fix? And then you just start going down the line of, of, making all those rules adjustments that is a lot of work for anybody who has not ever been involved on a project that has that many layers and scales like it's it it's interesting i i can never complain right i work at a game company my life sure. is just wonderful it's a lot of juggling though like because not only am i working on that but i'm working on riot quest not the riot quest rules mm -hmm. but all the war machine rules for riot quest i'm doing development on the 5e ikrpg requiem yeah, the IK RPG 5e Requiem coming out. I'm doing development on that alongside Matt Getz and Oz. And, you know, each of us, Faye, Oz, uh, Souls, myself, Getz, we're all just working on so many different things at once. So it is like our days mm -hmm. are very packed. We're very busy. I believe it. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing a great job. There's a lot of interesting things all hitting the table in the very near future. So... What kind of feedback are you looking for in this new Legion CID? Because the CID is going to drop, and we're, you're doing it a little different this time. Yeah, it's a no battle report CID. And the reason for that is with the global pandemic, we simply cannot promote people meeting together to go play games. So, like Cases on the rise. If we said it was online only through a third-party program, then there would be people that felt left out because they didn't want to play online, uh, didn't understand how to. It is a tabletop game, first and foremost. And then they would feel encouraged to go meet up with other people so their battle reports could get in, which would be promoting them to play. So the safest thing to do by far is no battle reports. I actually have a list in the opening post I've written that people will see that uh, this is the kind of feedback we're looking for. And specifically, this is how we want to receive it. And it, it tells everyone what the high priority posts are and what the low priority posts are. The, the two high priority posts we're looking for is list building article exercises. And what I mean by that is look at all the new stuff, create a list you would want to play. Now break down for us why you made the choices you did, what you think it's strong against, what you think it's weak against. It, imagine if you were writing a tactics article 
on your, your own website. This would be you explaining to people what the list does and how it functions. And so we want to see a lot of list exercises. The second part is interaction discussions and interaction discussions are not specifically this thing's speed or uh, this thing's point cost nine. I think it should be point cost eight. That's not an interaction discussion that goes into the list building. Use it at the new point value and then tell us, oh, if I, if this thing was here, then I could have fit it in. And that's why I think it should be this point value in comparison to this other model I had to choose instead. That's a good comparison. Interactions are, I'm using this model, this model, and this model for these abilities in this combination to generate this effect. And this is the interaction it causes. And this is why I feel that that interaction is strong or weak. And this is very quantifiable. You know, we could say I can stack these five things together to create a, an eight point armor swing. And this is how I would do it. And that interaction to me is too powerful. Or this interaction is confusing to me. Or is this interaction intentional? We want to see a lot of that mechanical discussion. Whereas on the lower end of what's given priority is the more generic theoretical, like this thing is point cost 10. I think it should be point cost nine because I, this other thing is point cost nine. Like that's less useful than showing an actual application and then sort of a breakdown of why you feel that way about that application. Mm. That's all extremely useful information. It's the best you can get without battle reports, right? Battle reports are top dog, but it just, we can't, we can't risk anybody right now. I really like both of those exercises, both the concept on list building and kind of where things fit in. I think this is really important for myself when looking at a lot of the stuff in the CIDs, where does it fit in and how does it compare to the options that I already have available to me? Also, in the the synergy discussion as you're building, you go, okay, this plus this equals this. I'm trying to accomplish this. And that's kind of the core of how we conceptualize lists and synergy as it is. And so to take that and now put it down in writing and say, well, yes, this plus this does equal that. But is it accomplishing the goal as it's supposed to? Is it filling the role as it's supposed to? Is it a niche thing that it does that isn't coming, you know, wouldn't come up? Those are all things that are important for the discussion things because it's easy for you guys from a top-down perspective to say well this is how it is within the vacuum and having fresh perspectives on things just gives it that little extra development edge yeah absolutely yeah that's what we're going for hopefully it works out i mean this is super uncharted territory and no battle report cid does kind of terrify me and we'll see how it works <laughs> and if it becomes too much static if it just becomes you know if it devolves into a shout fest which hopefully it does not we'll you know we'll end the cid I'm, I'm hoping we can generate a lot of positive and thoughtful discussion, which we have in the past. We'll be moderating it very heavily. But, you know, if it just if it if it falls into, you know, this should be point nine, but it's point ten. Someone going, no, it should be ten, but it's nine. And it, it just goes back and forth. And there's not really any data coming out of that. Yeah, that's a point. If there's if there's too much of that kind of thing going on, then we'll take what the, the, the nuggets of wisdom and feedback we can pull out of it and and move on to the next thing. <laughs> While we're on the topic, Legion has a Riot Quest model coming out, Ysilla. Can you tell me anything about her and how she'll function in War Machine? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. You remember the old video game YS was how it was mm -hmm. written? Okay, so the way that was pronounced is E's. That was, that was, mm. it, was, it, it wasn't Yis. And I know growing up, I called it Yis all the time. And so I've even said Ysilla, but the proper pronunciation is Isola. And oh. I, no one is ever going to get that right. And I do not <laughs> fault anyone for not getting that correct. But that is the official canonical pronunciation of her name is Isola. Isola. Okay. So what can you tell me about Isola? So she is a blighted Nisola. 
pure spellcaster. I mean, uh, she has no melee weapon, no ranged weapon. Her mat and rat are like four. Uh, she's def 14, low defense, five boxes. She has always stealth, so that helps protect her. But you also probably want to deliver her a little bit better. But she is about her spell. She's magic ability eight, which is really high for a solo. She has a special ability called Unleash the Arcane that says when she hits someone with a magic attack once per turn, she can immediately cast another spell. So of her three spells, one is a flat-out offensive spell, which is Toxic Blizzard, where she puts out an AoE, a four-inch AoE that's PAL-10, that does magic damage and does the corrosion continuous effect to everything under it. So if she hits somebody with that AoE, and remember, they can just be under the AoE to be hit. It's not directly hit. She gets to trigger another cast, which is great. She's got Puppet nice. Master. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really easy to pull off if you've got her close enough. She's got Puppet Master, which obviously works both ways and could be your offensive spell to trigger the second spell you get to cast that turn. And Puppet Master is just great. So maybe you throw a Toxic Blizzard, then Puppet Master. Or maybe you do an offensive Puppet Master and then a friendly Puppet Master. And then she has Shatterstorm. Shatterstorm works exactly how the spell we know it does. It's just not an upkeep. So she has to cast it every turn. But you mm. give a unit detonator which on things like the new Nis Archers, for example, is just very potent because, you know, the Nis Archers are being upgraded to the whole unit has repositioned three across the mm -hmm. board now. And the ammo porter no longer has to be in a specific range to give people rate of fire two. It's if you have the ammo porter, the unit is rate of fire two, period. If he's in formation, mm -hmm. uh, because you're already paying for a model that can't do anything. Like it, all it does is the one thing it does. So now you have a unit of archers that feel like Nis Archers should. They walk up. They all shoot twice, and then they back up. Mm. And when you can get that unit detonator, they can walk up and just do a handful of CRAs and cause a couple explosions to go off. Or you know, if you're fighting a bunch of low arm single wound infantry, you could just decimate ranks of of enemies. Like they're just going to evaporate. And so she works really well with that. But also, you can give Shadowstorm to anything. You can give it to the Archangel if you want to. You can give it to Typhon for his sprays if you're just <laughs> feeling specifically saucy. Like, it's a, it's a really fun spell that has a lot of applications within the Nice. Well, we're on the topic of Riot Quest characters. Can you tell me anything about Linda for all my Infernals listeners? Linda has one of the biggest menus of abilities in War Machine of Hordes. She has a very interesting rule called low priority. The idea is that she just looks like a civilian that's wandered onto the battlefield with a bunch of junk. So, like, enemy uh, generals are like, what is, who? Don't worry about them. <laughs> So low priority says that she cannot be targeted by enemy attacks made from more than five inches away. Just period. She's basically under a permanent version of Rask's feet. Hmm. So you can't charge her from more than five away. It's better than stealth. You can't even try and miss an AOE on top of her. Anything like that. Then on top of that, she has five artifacts that she can use one each turn. And she can use them turn from turn. And they do all sorts of different things. And so she's just wandering around, like, grabbing the wilting horn and blowing it and having that thing go off. And then grabbing, like, you know, this this talisman and turning it on and having its different effect, you know, using this 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 elixir to give a model in, in Infernal's dodge and, and just different things. She just does a weird, wide... She's a walking buffet of abilities. And she does just a little bit of everything. No one thing breaks Infernals. No one thing is super OP in Infernals, but she just kind of has a use at any given time. She's also a marked soul, so she gives you another four-point marked soul. Amazing. I am really excited about her. So she's kind of my spirit animal in Riot Quest in that, like, if I were in Riot Quest, I would do the same thing. I would just be walking along like, hmm, put these boots on, let me put yeah. this shirt on, let me do this as a grenade, stick that in there for later. What does I'm... this mask do? I don't know. I'll put it on. <laughs> exactly. And the 
becoming the mask. So I'm excited for her in Riot Quest. I'm excited for her in Infernals. I think she's a great concept, very cool art. So uh, great job on that. Somebody else I'm really excited about, when reading the War Machine rules for Bumbles, I was just floored at how awesome his design is. He's a really yep. interesting flavor. I feel that he really builds on the aesthetic and concept of the ambushing Northkin Bears. And like ambushing a countercharge PAL-15 Weapon Master is, is just is brilliant. It's fun. Oh, it's cool. Not even the Weapon Master tech. He has auto pitch on his bite. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he has two Weapon Master claws and then pitch. And and not crit pitch, pitch. I will tell you, he's a, he's a playtest right now. He's very strong. He is a very, very strong model. He's been toned back a little bit. He A couple things weren't working right, and we kind of gotten where he's at now. He might get toned down a tiny bit. But Bumbles is powerful, and that's... That's that's OK. Like he he does mm-hmm. one thing and that is he's a massive threat when he ambushes, but he's also really good if you don't ambush him. If you run him with the army and let all the force multiplier stack on top of him, like the stone, like other mm-hmm. things, he becomes a really terrifying threat because of the countercharge pitch that you can just hang behind the enemy lines and just have go out there because having your charge countered by being thrown is a horrible feeling. <laughs> Great. And of all the things that may change on Bumbles, whether his armor goes down a little bit, or maybe his boxes go down a little bit, or his point value goes up because he's six points right now, and he is definitely at semi bear archon level. He's not like quite archon mm-hmm. archon, but he's like he's 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 up there in terms of six point combat solos. Like honestly, to just he is a six point five point model. Like he's not a six point model. He's not a seven point model. He's like a 6.5. And so maybe we take him down a little bit to make sure he's a 6. Maybe we leave him at 6.5. We Maybe we put him up to 7 and play around with a few other things. We have some options. But counter-charge pitch is not going away. Like I really is... like the sound of Bear Archon. Yeah. <laughs> the, him charging in and throwing people is just what he... Like, that's just going to happen. That That is part of Bumble's playing with people. It's part of, of the core of what makes Bumble's unique within the army and i can tell you that like ambush won't go away counter charge won't go away pitch won't go away and and from there everything is technically mutable though there's some that would be pretty hard to get rid of but those those are like really core to the identity of what bumbles is supposed to be doing on mm-hmm. the i like it i don't even play trolls anymore but i'm always excited when trolls get something cool and interesting there's so much good here i don't have any say in this but i i said go ahead and you know kind of the canon of war machine is that when everything's like really strong nothing is really overly strong and this model rides that perfect line so i mean like it's still in development but just looking at it and going you're right it does what it does but it's very trolly in the pursuit of what it does and it's strong in different applications, whether you ambush it or whether you're just using it as another bear in the line of big ass bears and trolls. It's good. I like it. I, I think it's really cool. It does something. And for mm-hmm. me, that's like the first question I ask myself is, and so starting with the War Machine rules for, for Dreyfus on through all the Riot Quest models, and then now the designs of the virtues and then all the troll bloods and all the stuff coming after is all the stuff that I've been able to design from scratch. That has been my oh. my machine hordes from blank page to final version of stuff. And I hope people recognize a pattern in, in the design that I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to institute power creep by any means. Mm-hmm. But my first question I always ask myself 
and and my playtesters is does this model do something is it doing something interesting even if it's on a low scale when you look at flubbin who costs three points and is by no means an op super powerful model but she does something she has a purpose you know if you're playing on steamroller she's a quick little flag holder who's got flight and when she gets in there if she starts dropping her bombs she could she could throw down a ton of little aoe's right it's is is this model got an interesting interaction when i put it on the table does it feel viable in my army list Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not optimized in my army list, but does it feel viable in my army list? And will I have fun with it? Captain Carly, I just spoiled her rules before this podcast. And she's an express team, a trencher express team command attack or weapon attachment. She gives them hunter, so they ignore cover and concealment. She gives them guns blazing, so they have a once per game many feet of shoot twice. And then she herself has a grenade revolver, which is range 12, arcing fire, pal 14 with an AOE. And so and she costs three points. Normally, weapon attachments aren't necessarily the most exciting thing. And I don't think anyone is going to look at Captain Carly and say, Captain Carly is, is power creep. She's super, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's OP. But she she's a three-point add-on to a five-point unit that when you do it, it just, you know, you look at her and you're like, oh, she just, she does fun things. Like, I, I enjoy playing with her. And Bumbles falls into this category. I want every term that Bumbles is out there. You feel like he is... You might feel that he's over the top, but that doesn't mean that he's overpowered. It just means that Bumbles is a presence on the battlefield. And in my opinion, every model that isn't just a, a straight up mechanic or, you know, support only kind of model should ha- feel like it has a presence on the battlefield. And you're kind of paying attention to them. Because to me, that's what War Machine's about. It's about this collection of super badasses rolling up and all fighting each other. And we do that through peace trading, attrition, and, and the tight mm-hmm. gameplay. But that's the narrative that's playing out, is everyone is something special. Yeah, I agree. And you're really knocking it out of the park, Will. I'm a big fan. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I hope so. That's what I'm shooting for. Well, I, I you know, I've been reviewing Privateer Press products for over like 400 episodes collectively through various podcasts. And I have, have been critical at times too. People tend to know me as like the super positive, like, you know, hey, everything's great. But I really do feel like we're in the golden age of War Machine right now where everything coming out is very well tuned and developed and playable. And there was a time where like a book would come out and it would have something for everybody. But maybe one thing in that book was like super competitive. And then like if you got missed, you could go like a whole season or maybe even two if you got back-to-back books that weren't great for you where you just felt like you were languishing and now with riot quest there's always new and fun and interesting stuff coming out there's new stuff coming out with the cid process you guys are really developing it into a just wonderful game so thank yeah. you for that and, and that's always been our goal i mean whoever has been lead the goal has always been to make sure that the models feel like every you are happy with your purchase and you have fun with your model and, and every developer every designer has their own take on things mm-hmm. and 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 mine is definitely a, a model can be very powerful and have a low interactivity rate and for some people mm-hmm. that's told that's totally fine it could just be a strong thing i think we've always had in general high interactivity rates of the models of what they mm-hmm. do but i'm saying me personally that's very high on the the total the total for me i don't necessarily like if it's necessary i'll make one but just as an aside i don't like making a model that is just a mechanic but i know those Mm -hmm. things are necessary and i know that people want them they want the thing that what it does is it just goes and fixes things that's all it does and now those can be great models it's just not what i personally go to first i would rather make something a little bit more outlandish and i i get reined in Absolutely, because I make mistakes. I make tons of mistakes. 
and and that's why I'm so lucky to have everyone else on the dev team and and then you know like Jason and Oz and Faye and obviously Matt's final say on everything because I think if I wasn't reined in I probably would go over the top a little bit <laughs> sometimes and so it's good to be working as a team to make sure that mm-hmm. what we what we put out in the end is the best product for everybody. Well, I don't disagree. In closing, is there anything you want to discuss that we haven't discussed? Just a reminder, everybody, that Kickstarter is still going on. You know, I know there's about to be a lot of buzz about the Legion CID that's starting on Wednesday, but you know, definitely check it out if you want to support RightQuest. We 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 love and appreciate all the support that you can give us, and the more support we get, the better we can make the starter product. Uh, the more stuff we can put in it, which just means more avenues of entry for more players into the community. And that's what we're about: growing the community and getting more people interested in, in playing tabletop gaming. So check it out if you haven't already. Absolutely. Can you let people know where they can go to find it? Yeah, you can go to kickstarter.com slash projects slash privateer press. That's sort of the normal you know, URL. And then after that, it's mm-hmm. slash riot dash quest dash wintertime dash wasteland. <laughs> or you can so, Google Riot Quest Wintertime Wasteland Kickstarter. It comes up first. Yeah, you can do that too. Or uh, go, go anywhere on the Privateer Press Facebook or Twitter. You will find a link in moments. This is true. Thank you, Will, for your time. Thank you, listeners. And I hope you tune in for more Field of Fire very soon. We're going to be dropping uh, an episode with Oz after this about Monster Apocalypse. And then shortly after that, the episode 20, which will be um, our episode with the new Riot Quest uh, radio show season two. Awesome. Yeah, listen to Oz. That's going to be super awesome. Oz doesn't get to do no podcasts. Looking forward to that. Yes, he has agreed to become one of my repeating hosts like you to come back and start talking about Monster Apocalypse with me and some of the IKRPGs. So you will start seeing him here more frequently very soon. Awesome, awesome. All right, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Take care.